0: Well, good morning, church family. How's everyone doing? Well, good. Well, welcome to the church at Woodbine. For those worshiping online, we want to thank you and welcome as you worship and join us today. For those who don't know me, my name is Doug Jones, and I am the campus and teaching pastor, and it is a joy seeing lots of friends here and even some new faces. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. And our prayer for you, for each and every one of us, is that first and foremost, that Jesus be glorified and everything we say and do, and that you can experience the love of our Heavenly Father, that you would experience Him personally. Receive that love and then give that love away. That is a deep prayer we have today for each and every one of you who are here and who have joined us online. Before we dive into this passage here in Matthew chapter, no, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, I just have a couple words I just want to share. First, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all your prayers, all your support, your encouraging words, all the food you've sent. For those who don't know, my mom passed away about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And uh, so it's been extremely hard this whole past year as she has struggled and fought against ALS. She is now with Jesus, and we are so grateful. And as scripture says, we do grieve, but we do not grieve like the world. And so I just want to say thank you to all you guys. You guys have been an incredible support to us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And also with that, just changing channels completely, Uh, I know and we know, not only as a church leadership here, but also just our Brentwood Baptist Family Church, we know that all the cases with COVID are rising as of today, and things might change tomorrow or next week. As of today, we're not going to roll back to earlier uh, COVID protocols, but we are watching, we are praying. Uh, If you want to wear a mask, I strongly encourage you to do that. If you don't want to wear a mask, I totally understand. Uh, As much as I'd love to fill this building up, I'm also very grateful that we have a lot of space here. So take advantage of our balcony like many of you are doing. Obviously, we can take advantage of worshiping online and even here. But we are watching. We are praying. And I want to ask you, pray for us as church leadership, just for wisdom and guidance. But more than anything, pray that as the nations are shaking, as the Lord shakes the nations, that instead of closing our fists to him and saying, why, with anger in our voice, that we had open our hearts and our hands and surrender to him. That we would allow and see God draw millions to the, the desire of all nations, which is Jesus Christ himself. Clear as mud? righty. Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 13. It is a, well, most of you guys are probably going to know this passage. We are going through a series. God is. Two weeks ago, we started off. God is good. All the time, all the time. Okay, the next week, it's not God is great. We looked at God is love. And we hit really hard. Now, God is great. But in our sermon series, the second week is God is love. And we talked a lot about, and I said it in Spanish the whole time, agape, agape love. That is a love that flows and comes from God. And it is a commitment, a complete 100% commitment for the well-being of another. That type of love is birthed out of the heart of God. And that is who he is. And I challenge you and I ask you, look online, look on YouTube and type in what does love mean? And you'll find interview after interview. And I wasted so much time two weeks ago watching person after person, young, old, male, female of every socioeconomic level. And most could not define what love was. And if we truly want to know what love is, We look to Jesus. Scripture is so clear, and he says it over and over. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, and scripture is so clear, we're born dead in our sin, enemies of God,
1: under his wrath. While we were yet sinners, his enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus
0: is the greatest epitome of God's love because he is God and he is love. And we love him because he first loved us. And we love others because of his love for us. And that is how we're called to live, to live like Christ lived. Today, week number three, God is trustworthy. Think about that word, trustworthy. I was trying to think of some super fun example, game, questions to ask you guys, and I could only come up with this one. Who has ever played the game Trust Fall, where you stand up on a table, climb up a ladder, and you have like five or six people standing behind you, and you have to stand, and then you fall backwards, trusting that they will catch you. Who has played that? For some of us, it might have been decades ago. Maybe it was last year in youth group. We used to do it all the time. And if you've ever been the person that's had to do the trust fall, how did you feel? Did you actually trust and do it? Think about the word trustworthy. What does trustworthy mean? Think about it. When we say that God is trustworthy, what are we saying? He's worthy of confidence. He is dependable. Able to be relied on
1: as honest or truthful. Look at that word dependable. And let's be honest. How many people in our life would we consider, truly consider, to be trustworthy? Think about it for a moment. Truly dependable. They say what they mean. They mean what they say
0: and they do it. You can trust them. You can rely on them. You can depend on them. And you know
1: that they will follow through with what they say and what they do. They're trustworthy. I've got a picture I want
0: to show you. It's a picture of two brothers and a sister. They are dear friends in Mexico. The middle one is Jessica. She was our secretary at our church for a few years. A single mom with a young little boy. She was a lawyer. Her husband left her. In the last few years while we were in Mexico, she was hired as our secretary at church. And she was amazing. I'm not going to compare her to my current staff, but 20-something years in Mexico, almost 20 years in Mexico, she was one of the most amazing staff members I've ever had. Utterly trustworthy. A year and a half after Christine, or a year after Christine and I had moved here, Christine and I went back to speak at a conference of missionaries down near Mexico City. And after the conference, we flew up or bussed up, I can't remember, went up to our town, Fresneo, just for a couple of days, like two days. And our church down there had this huge picnic in the evening, this big cookout. We showed up in the car, and there were at least, uh, probably about 100, 150 people there. It was packed, and everybody was so excited to see us. And it was right before Christmas. And I had my Bible and kind of my little notebook that I always use when I prep my talks and stuff. And I was going to give a little devotional talk. And we can barely get out of the car, and everybody's kind of, you know, they're tackling us. And, hi, how are you doing? And I feel someone pulling my Bible and notebook out of my hand, and it's gone. And I was like, well, somebody took it. Oh, it will be fine. So it took us 20 minutes to get into the church building. And sometime during the lunch or dinner, Jessica came up and whispered in my ear. She goes, I got your Bible, I got your notebook, exactly how you want it
1: on the table by the microphone up at front. And sure enough, she was utterly trustworthy. Are you trustworthy? Do we truly believe? that God is trustworthy. Can we trust him? I know a lot of us here, especially since we're Christians, we believe, Right, of course, I believe he's trustworthy. But do you honestly trust him with your life, with your finances, with your job, with your future, with your health, with your relationships? With your children, with your spouse, do you really trust them? Or do you kind of trust them, but there's this caveat, this unwritten covenant you have with him? Yeah, but are there any areas in your life that you haven't surrendered to Jesus, trusting him? It could be your past. It could be broken relationships. Do we trust them? Right here, Matthew chapter 6,
0: starting in verse 1. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verse 1 through 13. And there's a lot here, and we're going to really park right on what we call the Lord's Prayer. Some people say it should be called the Disciples Prayer, because Jesus is teaching them. When you look in the Gospel of Luke, In that context, the disciples ask, Jesus, teach us to pray. And then Jesus teaches them his prayer. And we're going to look at it. We're going to dive in depth of it really hard today. And before you leave, on the two black tables in the back, there's a little card. It looks like this. And it's just the Lord's Prayer. I love it. And I got some fun stories about this one, both from here in the United States and in Mexico. But right here, Matthew. Matthew is is considered the most Jewish of all the Gospels. And one of the things that Matthew does in his gospels, he paints Jesus and he describes and depicts Jesus as the second Moses, so to speak, as the better Moses. Moses was kind of the leader of the old covenant and God spoke to Moses through Moses to give us the 10 commandments and he led them out of Egypt. And it was all God's doing. Jesus being the second Adam, the second Moses, so to speak, initiating the second covenant, the new covenant. And right here in the Sermon of the Mount, starting in chapter five and running through the next couple chapters, right here in verse one, what does it say? It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So Jesus is teaching against what? hypocrisy. He's talking about, he basically says, don't be like the hypocrites who when they give and when they're generous and when they help the poor, they're announcing it in the synagogue. Imagine what it would be like for us. We don't pass the plates anymore for our offering. There are boxes in the foyer and maybe, Lord willing, in September we'll bring the offering plates back. But could you imagine someone in here as we pass the plates or as we leave now, they pull out a whistle and they're like... (laughs) really loud. Sorry if that hurt your ears online. And they pull out their wallet and they're just $100 bill, 200 and they're just announcing how much they're giving in their offering. Could you imagine that? How pretentious that is? How arrogant that is? But people would actually do that. They would blow trumpets before they deposited their giving. I'll be honest with you. Online, Facebook, Instagram, I struggle When I see Christians taking pictures, showing how much they're doing in ministry. I struggle with that. I have a hard time with that. I don't like it. Now, is it a good thing? Maybe. Some of my brothers and sisters who do it, I know they're utterly humble and they're not being arrogant and they're not parading themselves. I'm just being honest. But Jesus makes me saying, don't be a hypocrite. You don't have to announce to the whole world when you serve and give and do amazingly incredible uh, things and serve. Don't be like them. Don't be like the Pharisees. Because when they do that, when they announce all the good that they're doing and all the the incredible tithes
1: and offerings they're giving, they're already receiving the reward. Don't be a hypocrite. And right here in verse 3,
0: What does Jesus say? But when you give to the poor, don't don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what does that mean? Should we never announce online what we're doing? Absolutely not. We're getting ready to have one of our ministry partners begin a new up here front sharing. And we want to proclaim what God is doing because it's all for Jesus' glory. When we share about Project Connect or one of our missionaries or one of our other ministry partners, we want the world to know so that they can see what Jesus is doing. It's for his glory. Jesus is referring
1: right here to hypocrisy when people draw the attention to themselves. And he's hitting that hypocrisy. So when we give and when we serve, Do we do it so that people see us or so that they can see Jesus? Jesus continues. Verse four,
0: so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's one of the keys right there about God being trustworthy. He sees and he knows everything. He knows what we're doing. He sees our acts of service. He sees our sacrifice. He sees it. And for some of us, we might feel like some water boy on the sidelines, and we're not in the game, so to speak, of ministry, and we're just plodding along. We feel like, man, I can just barely get out of bed, and I'm just working at work, and I'm serving my family, and that's all I'm doing, and we don't have this big, huge ministry. We're not known anywhere Yet God sees and God knows. And I think some of the people who are going to be in the front row in Jesus' presence are going to be those unknown saints of Jesus who are utterly faithful with what he called them to do. And in the eyes of the church world here on earth, they were a nobody. And yet they were completely, utterly, totally sold out to loving Jesus living a life of humility and generosity and love, and our Father sees it. As evangelicals, we struggle, a lot of us struggle to truly believe that God loves to give rewards. God loves to give rewards. One of my biggest prayers for myself and for you is that when we pass away, like my mom did two weeks ago, is that the very first thing we'll see is we'll see Jesus with his arms wide open saying, come here, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58, at the very end, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he had a lot to say. He had a lot of tough love to give to this church. But right here in this verse, look what he says. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Say the word excelling, excelling in the Lord. Well, what is the Lord's work? It's living like Jesus lived excelling in God's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in
1: vain. We had this amazing celebration yesterday of my mom. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for 50-something years. She quit working when my older brother was born and she never got another paycheck. And the impact and influence that she had on thousands as a stay-at-home mom. It's amazing. And I'm bragging. It's my mom. But when I get to heaven, she'll
0: probably give me a big hug when I get there. And she'll be like, Doug, I got to go back to front. You're in the back. Sorry.
1: She wasn't famous, had no titles. But what she did do is she stayed
0: immovable, steadfast, Always excelling, say the word excelling, excelling in the Lord's work because it is not in vain. And that's what Jesus says here. Your Father, He is trustworthy. And what He's called you to, maybe in the eyes of the world, it might seem like nothing and little, but He sees it and He's going to reward you. We continue. That's about giving, serving. We come into prayer. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Once again, it's the hard attitude of pride and arrogance of wanting to be seen. Look at me, look at me, look how much I pray, look how much this, look how much that. Jesus is hitting the heart of the Pharisee, the heart of the hypocrite. Does that mean we should never pray in public? Does that mean we should never pray here on the pr- platform? Does that mean we don't have prayer vigils? That, does that mean we don't pray and do prayer walks up and down the street? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Hmm, Doubt it. He's talking about that hypocritical, arrogant person who supposedly looks like they're a person of prayer and of incredible depth, spiritual depth, when in reality, it's all for show.
1: What does Jesus say? He says, but when you pray, go into the private room your prayer closet, shut the door
0: and pray to your father who's in secret. Again, do you see that the secret place, the quiet place and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see that again? Our heavenly father wants to reward us. I have found during this time with my mom and the amazing gifts that many of you have given to me and how y'all have served me, I have struggled to receive it. And I feel like, no, no, I need to get them a prayer card. I need a, a, a gift card. I need to get them this. I need to get them that. And the Lord is hitting me over and over. Quit being so arrogant.
1: Humble yourself and let them serve you. Jesus is hitting the heart of arrogance and
0: pride and of hypocrisy, both in giving and in praying. And he says, your father, he sees in secret and he wants to reward you. He's hitting that whole attitude of humility. And then here in verse seven, and I love this. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. I'll never forget, I was in ninth grade. Missionaries without our church is an evening church service, which is a dinosaur now because most churches don't have a Sunday night service. It was like church light. It was amazing at my church. And after towards the end of these missionary sharing, they said we're going to split up in groups of three, and there are probably a hundred people there. And guess who I was pitted up with? The pastor and associate pastor and me. And everybody's praying for these missionaries and all these prayer requests. And the pastor prayed and the associate pastor prayed. It got to me. And all I said was, I just don't know what to say because I was so embarrassed because I was with these saints of God. And afterwards are like, Doug, you don't have to worry about your words. If it sounds like a three-year-old, that's okay because we've been given the spirit of our father, of Jesus, where we call out Abba,
1: Papi. You don't have to impress us. And that helped me so much like, be yourself.
0: You see, in Jesus' context, many of the Jewish religious leaders, they felt like they'd have to convince God, and with just a plethora of words and praying and babble and babble, the Gentiles felt that way with all the Gentile religions around. They'd have to babble on and on and on to try to convince the gods to hear them. But Jesus is like, my Heavenly Father, He's not that way. He is not that way. In verse 8, again, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Look at this verse here. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask them. Your father, he knows the things you need before you ask him. Now, I have friends who are believers. I also have friends who profess to be be believers. And I have friends who aren't
1: believers. And they take that verse there and then they say, well, why should I even pray? God already knows, okay? Why do we pray? Why should we pray? Is it to try to convince God that our way is the right way?
0: Or do we forget that we're human beings and we were created for relationship, first and foremost, with our Heavenly Father? And prayer is one of the main vehicles of communing with Him. And as we spend time reading the Word and meditating on the Word and in worship and in confession and in prayer and intercession and supplication, He begins to touch and transform our heart. When we dive into a life of prayer, not to try to convince God with our impressive words or with a lot of babble, But if we live a life out of prayer, the Holy Spirit becomes not just present in our lives. Not just prominent in our lives, but preeminent in our lives. And he begins to mold and shape our hearts and our minds. And he begins to mold and touch us. And even though we're only basically repeating back to him what he already knows, because he already knows what we need. But when we live a life of prayer, he begins to stir in our hearts and give us this hunger and this desire for him and for holiness and for goodness and for his presence. Psalm 63, verse 1 and 2, there's a gazillion psalms. But one of the psalms that I love, and this King David, in this psalm, he says, he goes, my heart at thirst. God, you are my God, and I eagerly seek you. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you.
1: Do you eagerly seek for God? Do you thirst for him? Most of the time I don't. My body faints for you. Do you faint for the Lord?
0: In a land that is dry and desolate. Here in Tennessee, there's so much water here. We've never been in a drought. Where we lived in Mexico, it was the desert.
1: And every time I read this passage, it reminds me of where I lived in Mexico. I was like, "Whoo!" now I get it.
0: But when I read this passage here, I'm like, Lord, help me be like that parched land where I just long for you. And then David says in verse 2, So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. You see, we become what we meditate on and what we consume. In Psalm 27, 4, and it's, I adopted this verse for my life verse. I've asked one thing from the Lord. This is what I'll seek. This is what I desire. It's to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's not this building. We're God's house. We're his temple. Holy Spirit dwells in us. And basically, David's saying, I long to dwell in God's house, in his presence, to dwell upon him, to contemplate his beauty, seeking him above all else. May that be our prayer. And then in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, my brother ended the the service yesterday with this prayer. Now to him who is able to do more than what, beyond what we can ask, what we could even think or imagine. We sang about that earlier. Think about that. The Lord, he will do far more than not only what we can ask for, far more than what we
1: can even think and imagine. That's his promise. Is he trustworthy? And then Jesus dives into this prayer right here. He dives into the Lord's prayer. I grew up in the church.
0: I even went to an Episcopal private school where we would go to mass all the time, and that was kind of like Catholic mass. I don't know where my brain was, but I remember the first time I remember the Lord's Prayer. I was 10 years old, I was on a little league baseball team. There were about 15 of us in the dugout, is before our very first game. The coach I had, he smoked a gazillion cigarettes every day. He would have two in the back on one side, and the big old cigarette is about three feet long, and the ash is half the cigarette. And he'd sit there and practice pitching us the balls and stuff, and that ash would sit there. He was an amazing coach. I loved him to death. But as a little self-righteous 10-year-old, I didn't think he was a Christian. And right before that game, he gave us a little pep talk. He said, all right, boys, hats off. All right, so let's pray. And all fourteen kids, there are fifteen of us, all fourteen plus two coaches. Our Father Art in Heaven, how be that name. That can become that will be done on earth is. And I was like, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. I had no idea what they were praying. And it took all
1: season to learn the Lord's Prayer, and they flew through it. All right, well, whatever gibberish that is. I get to Mexico, very different situation.
0: But as an Anglican church, we prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. But we'd have to reteach all these people who had grown up in the Catholic church because we start, let's stand, and we will pray as we're boldly to pray as the Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father art in heaven, how be that name? And I'd stop it. Whoa. It is not a race to get finished. This is Jesus' prayer. How does Jesus teach these disciples? He says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Say it, our father in heaven. Oh, okay, let's say it together. Our father in heaven. Jesus came to reveal the father. Again, God is trustworthy. And how is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray? How is he teaching this huge crowd to pray? We have a father and he's in heaven and we aren't. And we have a father who we can call Abba, we can say Papi. I'm telling all the young families who have littles, I know the days and nights are long, but the years go so fast. Because I can remember coming home when Sammy and Eric and Margie were tiny tots, and I'd open that door and they would come running to me and jump in my arms. Sammy would get up and I could hear him flying down the hallway and he'd jump in my lap early in the morning. I'd have to pay 20 bucks to my kids to do that now when I come home. Sorry, I'm throwing you guys under the bus. I'm just teasing. But the image of God as Father, as Abba, and He longs for us to come up into His arms. I have finally conquered Levi Denning. This morning, she jumped in my lap. She's two. I'm trying to get her little sister Jojo. But we have a loving Father. He just loves us, and He longs for us. And Jesus teaches us, our Father in Heaven. He's not some distant God. Our father, he's trustworthy. Your name be honored as holy. You are the holy one. You are the righteous one. You are the good one. There is no one like you. This is a model of prayer, but it's also prayer that we can pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Do we long to see God's will done here on earth as in heaven, which is the very next phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These first couple verses here of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is helping his disciples see the focus of our life has to be on who? On our Father. Because he's trustworthy. And it's his will, and it's his way, it's his kingdom, it's his glory. And then he goes on to say, and give us today our daily bread. That's supplication. We're praying that God provides our daily needs. And then he goes on, and this is a big one. We could spend a whole year on verse 12 and forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our
1: trespasses, depending on your translation. How? As we forgive those who sin against us. Are you sure you want to pray that prayer? You're asking God to forgive you the way you forgive others. Like I said, it's another day, but that's confession. That call to prayer we do every Sunday can be a time of worship and or confession. And then Jesus goes on and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.
0: I'm sure you guys have seen the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And I've got it both in English and Spanish. I hope it works on the screen. The acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And it's broken down right here. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Basically, the Lord's Prayer. This prayer is almost like this in English. Spanish, you have to scramble the eggs a little bit to make it work. In Spanish, we do casa, C-A-S-A, confesión, adoración, súplica, acción de gracias. It's a little bit different, the order, but it's the same difference. But in English, we start with adoration. And you guys who speak Chinese, James, I'm so sorry. I don't know Chinese to put it on the board, so I apologize. Adoration in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus starts with adoration to his Father. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's all about worship. And then there's some confession. Where we spend time every day in prayer. And again, this little acronym, you kind of jump part of the give us this there daily bread. But you have a time of confession every day. Confessing our sins to the Lord. And if you need to confess
1: your sins to someone else, Go do it. And then the T, Thanksgiving. Scripture is so clear. We enter God's presence through Thanksgiving. I
0: want to ask the worship team to come up. As I explained the last one, S, supplication. S, supplication. Supplication technically is praying for your own needs. Intercession is praying for the needs of others. And this is a little fun acronym. I'm just using supplication for both. But here in the Lord's Prayer, a lot of us Baptists, we can struggle with the Lord's Prayer because it's like, man, if I pray it every
1: day, it just becomes rote and doesn't mean a thing. Do you eat every day? I was watching and listening to a live worship
0: service where at the very end of the service, the worship leader began to sing Matthew 5, 16, which says, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they would praise your father who's in heaven. And it was this long, spontaneous worship set. And then the whole entire stadium prayed the Lord's Prayer. And it was so powerful to be part of and to watch. We're going to stand up and just spend time. And Chris, could you go back to the Lord's Prayer? We're just going to spend a few moments in guided prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And let's just spend a moment, and Chris, if you could underscore just play, just a moment. Let's spend time in worship and in praise. Right there where you are. You can stay seated. You can stand. You can kneel. You can go out to the aisle. Spend a few moments worshiping and praising God for who he is. You can pray out loud if you want. You can pray in your heart, your mind. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed your name is holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm sure we could spend all day here, but give us this day our daily bread. The biggest need in your heart right now, surrender it and give it to Jesus because he knows You see, He is trustworthy. He is so trustworthy. And for a lot of us, we can really struggle with God's trustworthiness because we go through loss. We go through pain. Now with confession, forgive us our sins, Lord, as we forgive those who sin against us. If there's anything you're guarding, any sin, any unconfessed sin, give it to Jesus now. You don't have to flog yourself. Jesus has already paid the penalty on the cross. But deliver us from evil. If there's anything you're afraid of or anything that's consuming you, any trial or temptation that is bearing heavy upon you, surrender it to the Lord. For many of us, when we go through trials and tribulations, and I'm in the midst of it right now with my mom, having lost my mom, it hurts. Something I didn't tell you about Jessica, the picture of the two brothers and Jessica. Jessica passed away three weeks ago after seven years struggling with cancer. A single mom, her son is 10 years old. It's another loss, and I'm tempted to get real bitter at God. Why? Why? And I'm tempted to pull back and say, I can't trust God. But we have to be just like Job. Though he slay me, I will worship him. Naked we were born into this world, and naked we will leave. So even when we go through trials and tribulations, the evil one is going to come to us and say, did God really say, just like he did Eve, did God really say? And that's where we stand on the truth of God's word saying, yes, God is good. God is love and God is trustworthy. And I surrender to him
1: because God is great. Let us sing. Let's worship.